Hey everyone. So I'm coming to you today from my home um, because my family and I are in isolation for the week. But I'm glad that I can be with you today, even if it is uh, through the video. <laughs> so this morning I want to start by sharing a story with you about a woman who lives in Jordan. We'll call her Nori. Uh, she was raised as a Muslim by her mum and dad, like most kids born in that um, region of the world. And her dad was actually a sheikh uh, who taught Islam and trained imams. But Nori suffered from an obvious evil oppression, which was so extreme that she would become physically violent towards others and yell obscenities with a male-sounding voice that was horrifying to hear. These outbursts were uncontrollable. And not only did Nori live in fear of these episodes, but she heard voices in her head and feared sleep because of the terror that she would experience in her mind at night. Her terror had started when she was four years old after her father started abusing her. Because of years of this torment, Nori wanted to end her life. The day after one of these episodes, Nori was talking with a work colleague who was expressing some genuine concern for Nori's welfare. And for some reason, Nori just felt safe and compelled to be honest about her struggles with what were called the jinns, their language for what we would call demons. And surprisingly, her colleague didn't freak out by what he heard, and he didn't dismiss it or mock it or minimise it or try to reason it away. Instead, he leant in towards her and whispered to her these words, you need to go to a church. The next day, in her desperation to be free from the jinns, Nori decided to follow that advice and sought help from a church in her city. But when she approached the door and asked for help, she was turned away. The priest was too afraid to be seen letting her in for fear of reprisals. And she approached another church and again, the same response. And so as she stood disheartened in the street, questioning the fear of these priests and the so-called strength of their Christian God, she was greeted by a man and a woman. And it turned out that the man was a pastor and his wife um, were Christian missionaries in the city. Nori told them about her struggles and they invited her back to a side room at a nearby Baptist church where they prayed for her and shared about the power of Jesus. Through several hours of prayer, Nori was freed from demonic oppression and released from the torment of the jinns. Nori was literally delivered from evil by the power and victory of Jesus Christ. Nori is now a Christian living out her faith in Jordan and she facilitates an online discussion forum for people who are seeking hope in the Muslim world and God is using her to bring people to Jesus. This might feel like a bit of a confronting story to us in comfortable outer suburban Melbourne because it's a story about the tangible grip of evil on someone's life. And the reality of these kinds of experiences among people around the world. We might be tempted to think that this sort of thing doesn't happen in our part of the world or in our sphere of Christianity. Or we might 
question whether people actually need deliverance from evil at all. But have you ever paused to wonder why in the Lord's Prayer we pray, save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil? For some, our experiences of evil might feel so familiar to Norris. For others, we might think of evil as something distant, something that happens um, because of wrong decisions made by governments or dictators or other leaders or as something caused by systems within our society that cause suffering and difficulty to certain groups of people. We might acknowledge that someone's experience of suffering might be the result of someone else's evil and we see the consequences of sin rippling out in waves of hurt and pain. For others, our experiences of evil are much more subtle. And if we look hard at ourselves, we might admit the ugliness of evil within ourselves, especially in patterns of behaving that we can't control. Or perhaps for you, the evil you know is a constant chain of trial after trial after trial that never lets up. And I think evil can be all these things. But what we often minimise are the spiritual forces behind evil that there is an enemy of God, a spiritual force of evil and darkness that seeks to destroy the purposes of God for humanity, a spiritual force of evil that is anti-life, that seeks to steal and kill and destroy, as it says in John 10.10, that seeks to tear us down, rob us from wholeness and destroy our lives so that God's glory is ultimately diminished. Well, this is what Norrie's story highlights and what Jesus' confrontation with the devil in our reading today highlights, that there is such a thing as a battle for our souls. As the Apostle Peter says in his first letter, that your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now, as I talk about this, I want us to acknowledge that there is a spectrum of views about the devil and demons, about the intensity of the battle for our souls and about spiritual warfare. Some people overemphasize the role of demonic forces and attribute every single struggle in people's lives as a direct demonic opposition. And they seem more obsessed with the demonic than with the ways God's spirit is at work. And other people prefer to think very little about the possibility of demonic forces at work in the world and negate spiritual warfare entirely. I think either extreme isn't healthy. And if we want to understand the extent of the gospel and the extent of the good news that Jesus brings to our lives and to the world, we've got to understand the reality of this spiritual context and our place in it. Along with the spiritual context of temptation and the ramifications on our souls. So today I'm not going to go into the depths of this passage verse by verse. I'm not going to analyze each of the temptations that Jesus faced. Rather, we're going to step back and ask how this story of Jesus' experience in the wilderness and his battle with the devil 
helps us understand more about the impact of the gospel on our lives today and what the gospel means for us in the battles that we face every day. So let's quickly recap the context for Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. We recall that Jesus has just been baptised by John the Baptist and that there was a voice from heaven that declared and confirmed the identity of Jesus, that he is God's beloved son. And then Luke traces Jesus' genealogy all the way back to Adam. And so we have Adam and Eve in our minds as we approach Jesus' wilderness experience. Perhaps Jesus is going to do something that will go back to the core of humanity's problems. Now, at the start of chapter 4, we read that the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. So it's God's will to put Jesus into this situation where he'll battle with the devil. God's going to do something significant through Jesus in this encounter. And so we see then this character described as the devil who approaches Jesus in his hunger and weakness and tempts him to hand over what we see here, his allegiance, his mission and his destiny. And in effect, to exchange his identity as the son of God for the meagre role as as puppet, sorry, for the devil. The devil's temptations tried to lure Jesus into using his power for his own purposes, into taking hold of a worldly kingdom apart from God's, and of taking a shortcut to his path through suffering to glory. The devil wanted to undermine Jesus before he even started and render him unworthy as God's son and unworthy of his mission to redeem humanity. Just as an aside, I think the enemy tries to knock us out of realising our potential in God's kingdom before we've even started, paralysing us with unworthiness or worldly distractions or even simply the pattern of the ordinary before we've even understood the call of God on our lives. So if the devil had succeeded with his temptations of Jesus, everything that Jesus was sent to do wouldn't have been achieved. Things like freeing people from the oppression and captivity of sin and releasing forgiveness, bringing rescue and salvation from our enemies, enabling us to live for him without fear and in holiness, bringing the light of heaven to shine on those in darkness. If Jesus failed this test, then he wouldn't have the authority to heal, to teach about the kingdom of God and to have any good news for us whatsoever. So the stakes were high, but Jesus didn't give in and he does something in the spiritual realm that hasn't been done before. He's the only human being who doesn't become enslaved to sin or the devil. And instead, he emerges as one who stands over him and who has the authority to resist and force back the devil and all his evil forces. With this victory in hand, Jesus begins his ministry with authority. So what does Luke want us to realise about Jesus and the gospel through this story? Firstly, Luke highlights, I think, that where Adam failed, Jesus didn't. 
Jesus is the one through whom humanity's failure and defeat will be undone. Just as Adam is representative of humanity in the beginning, Jesus is the worthy representative of humanity in God's new work of redemption. In 1 Corinthians 15:22, we read, For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. And because Jesus has emerged in victory, first in this wilderness experience and then from the grave in his resurrection and ascension, he is the vessel through whom all victories can emerge. So we're therefore no longer slaves to the enemy's deception or bound to our moral failures when we've given in. Our failures aren't the last word. And in fact, Jesus came to undo our failures. This is the work of the gospel, undoing the grip of our failures and our mistakes and our inadequacies, undoing the shame that attaches to our failures and breaking the deceitful hold of the enemy's lies over us. The gospel frees us from any hold the enemy has over us. You know, so many times Christians who have done something terrible or stuffed up really bad find it so hard to move on from that mistake. It haunts them, it holds them in constant guilt and holds them back from serving God freely, like a ball and chain attached to their ankle. I know because I've been there. But Jesus says, you know what? I've succeeded on your behalf. I've broken off that chain for you. Failure doesn't have to hold you anymore. You are not the sum of your mistakes. I've forgiven you. Now stop letting that failure hold you down. Get up and run freely for me. This is the victory that Jesus opens for us if we choose to walk in it. Anne Voskamp, in her book, The Broken Way, says this, Believers in Christ are seen by God exactly as Christ is seen by God. I am who he is. I am not the mistakes I have made. I am the righteousness he has made. I am not the plans I have failed. I am the perfectedness he has finished. I am not the wrongs I have done I am the faultlessness he has been. I am not the sins I have chosen. I am chosen by the beloved, regardless of my sins. Secondly, because Jesus has experienced the battle for his soul, he can identify with our battles and is personally invested in our battles. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathise with our weaknesses, but we have one who in every respect has been tested as we are, yet without sin. Jesus has been through every trial and temptation that we face. So his victory encompasses every trial and temptation that we experience. He has fought the battle for our souls and won. So your way to victory in your battles has been opened and there isn't a struggle or a fight or a battle in your life that he can't touch and transform. Now you might think, gee, really, how am I going to be able to break that habit of sin? 
and resist that temptation so that it's done for good. I know the fight is tough. I know that it's not easy. But this isn't just about trying in our own strength to be like Jesus when we face temptations and resist the enemy in our own capacity. I think it's about learning to take hold of and trust that his victory has gone before us. This week I was reading the end of the book of Joshua and um, in Joshua 24 verse 12, God summarizes how the Israelites took possession of the land of Canaan and God says, I sent the hornet ahead of you, which drove out before you the nations in Canaan. It was not by your sword or by your bow, I gave you the land. In the same way, Jesus has driven out the enemy before us. Jesus' victory secures our victory. And in every single area of struggle and temptation that we face. So it's not Jesus won, therefore I should win, but rather Jesus won, therefore I have already won. And finally, this temptation story highlights that where Israel failed in the wilderness, Jesus didn't. And so every purpose that God had for the nation of Israel to faithfully represent God to the world so that all would come to know and worship the one true God and to be the means through which blessings to the nations would come, all of these purposes are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. In other words, the gospel of Jesus Christ redeems humanities, redeems our God-given calling. Not only does the gospel of Jesus release us from our failures and give us victory in our lives over evil forces, but the gospel allows God's people to experience and mediate God's rule and God's victory to the world. This is a big idea, so let me unpack it quickly. Remember back to the Garden of Eden where God commissioned Adam and Eve to fill the earth and subdue it. They were to rule with God over his earth and bring everything under his lordship. Part of that task meant pushing back and subduing any ethical threat to God's reign. So they were to drive the serpent out of the garden and they were to extend God's reign of righteousness, justice and peace. And so too with Israel, they were to guard and keep God's temple and their community from any intrusion of evil. And they were to subdue the land by cleansing it from idols and bringing it under God's lordship and restoring God's wonderful presence in their midst. So as Jesus overcomes the wilderness test, he is reinstating humanity's mandate to reign with God and bring his blessings of justice, righteousness and peace to the world. And we see this a little later in Luke chapter 9, where Jesus sends out 70 of his followers on this very mission, giving them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases, to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. We see that in Luke chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. And when these followers return, they report with such excitement that even the demons submit to them. I don't want to go too much into it now because obviously we're going to look at this later on in our series um, on Luke this year. But Jesus' victory here 
in the wilderness is huge and the implications for us in the spiritual battle are huge. Luke wants us to see that through Christ's victory, we should expect to see darkness and evil push back. And we should look for it in the here and now in this life. So the gospel then is also the good news of the redemption of our mission and purpose in God's world, as is co-heirs who drive out of creation the powers of darkness and destruction and who participate in God's healing and restoration of the world. I know I've shared a lot today, so let me quickly recap. The gospel of Jesus secures the victory in the battle for our souls and secures our victory in our battles. The gospel frees us from any hold of failure, unworthiness, shame, and so on, from any hold the enemy has over us. And the gospel redeems our mission and purpose as co-heirs with Christ who drive out the intrusion of evil and participate in God's restoration of the world. So as I close, I want us to just take a moment to reflect on our lives and what I've shared. So I'd actually like it if you could just close your eyes for a moment now and ask yourself, where do I need Jesus' victory to touch my life again. When we pray, deliver us from evil, what deliverance do you need? With those things before God, I want you to pray in your hearts these words. Jesus, you've already won this battle. You have overcome this evil. I claim your victory in this area of my life. Release my soul from any hold of the enemy and empower me to walk in your victory. In Jesus' name, amen.